0: Welcome to episode 140 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. And since my last episode, IGTV, Instagram TV has launched. So for those of us who are Insta fans, it's another way to play, to share our stories. And it's so apt that I'm sharing a chat I've had with a bit of an Insta star who you probably follow her. She's called hilariously infertile and I am using the word star very carefully But Karen, my guest, has over 40,000 followers on Insta from the comedic insights she shares about this somewhat curious world of infertility. Yet when she approached a publisher, she was told there wasn't really the market for it. And like I say, she's got over 40,000 followers on Instagram. Now we're also going to be hearing from a fertility expert from when I went to London and visited the Lister and I spoke to James Nicopolis, who's one of the lead gynecologists there because he was someone who I'd heard speak and he talked about AMH levels understanding it and low ovarian reserve and he did it so well that I thought he'd be a perfect person because I haven't really talked about that on this podcast so you'll hear James after my chat with Karen now With our content sharing getting more and more impressive with the different social media channels we use, my podcast really needs to up its game and I've decided that I need to think differently about how I share info with you from my chats. And what I've done with today's episode is is it's quite raw. Normally I edit it much more, taking out the behind the scenes bits, but some of the other podcasts I've been listening to, I've heard them kind of sharing that stuff. So that's what I've done today. I laughed a lot during this episode and I really didn't want to edit it too much. So what you're going to hear is just the start of the conversation and uh, when I had to go and come back, which um, you'll understand what I mean. Now, before we hear my chat with, with Karen, Don't forget that The Ultimate Fertility Guide is my other project where I share live streamed interviews with fertility experts. And you can like our Facebook page, theultimatefertilityguide.com to make sure you don't miss any of our live streams where you can ask experts questions. Now it's time for this week's episode. What
1: time is it with you? It is 9, like 18 in the morning.
0: All right, so your day's literally just started. Good day so far? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, great day. How about you?
0: Yeah, good, good. I've had a I've had a productive day so far. My um, toddler is now in front of the television because the electricity man was like, "I have to turn the power off," and I was like, "No way! I've got to do this interview, and if you turn off my TV, I've got no way of containing my child." So no, you have to come exactly.
1: (laughs) I totally understand.
0: It's not my default uh, child care, but sometimes it's a necessity, isn't it? Yes,
1: no, it definitely is. I I totally understand.
0: (laughs) I just thought I'd talk a little bit about what you're doing, like you've been doing with all the other chats,
1: just about kind of where you're
0: at. I know that on the website you talk about you were intending to publish the book and that, you know, this is kind of the, the the website is kind of you sharing it and whether you're pursuing that still, I know you talked about self-publishing or, or whether you're just putting stuff out in a kind of social media way ultimately.
1: Yes. Well, I, um, so I wrote this book two years ago and I didn't realize that you really need to be like, know someone publishing or be a celebrity or something to yeah. get published. That's when we started the website and the social media and, and then everything just blew up from there. So mm-hmm. um, now I'm going with a self-publishing company called book baby and okay. um, they have the book and they are, you know, formatting it and making it look the, the way that we really? want. And um, hopefully I mean, I'm, I like, I'm kind of aggressive with the timeline, so, I, but I don't want to let anyone down, but hopefully, you know, by August, um, there should be like a product that we can be able to sell. Wow. So, um, yeah, so I'm really excited and it will be available. A lot of people, cause I have a lot of international followers, as you know, so, yeah. um, anywhere where you can, if you can buy a book on Amazon, you, you'll be able to buy it. So, cool. um, so yeah, so I'm really excited about that. So just talk to me about how this all started, because I'm interested in that for
0: a while you weren't putting your name or your face to it. And I I actually started this podcast anonymously for the first year of doing it because I personally couldn't get my head around doing something kind of public about something so private. But I wanted to put something out there with my skill set, which was audio stuff. So what led you to start sharing what had been going on with you?
1: So what happened with me is I, you know, I went through infertility to conceive both of my daughters and I was on maternity leave with my second daughter and I was helping like a number of friends and family through their like infertility um, or for their, through their fertility treatments so much so that there was one point where I was talking to my husband and I was like, well, you know, this one, her follicles are at 17. So she's going to have an IUI probably on Sunday and this one. And he was like, okay, I don't need to know everyone's monthly schedule but but then he's like you should write a book about it so I didn't really take it that seriously and then one day I just kind of started writing and it just kind of developed and then I showed it to a friend and I was like I don't know what this is and she was like I don't know what it is either like is it a book or is it a blog or what is it but but you should keep going so that's when then I started trying to get it published and I realized that you know um, I don't know anyone in publishing, so then someone suggested you know you should get a website and you should get social media. And like you said, I mean I'm I'm a school teacher, so and my students are old enough to Google me, so mm-hmm. I and they have and they've told me so. Um, I was very concerned about putting my name or my face on anything. I never even had a personal social media account, like a personal Facebook account. I didn't have anything like that before. I know this. a lot
0: of teachers, well, a number of teachers that don't do that for for example, yeah. which which is completely exactly. understandable.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I just didn't want, you know, anything, the parents to be able to find me or or whatever. So then I started with hilariously infertile. And then it was a few months after it started. It was a summer after it started. I was asked to do a speech down at NYU fertility, which is coincidentally the place where I got my fertility treatments, but they didn't know that when they asked me, it was like a weird coincidence. And, um, And the speech was really, it was really well received and um, very funny and comedic. And and I wanted to share that with my followers, but my face was on it. So I was kind of nervous, you know, of putting my face on my social media and all that stuff because I was remaining anonymous. And Mm -hmm. I contacted my union rep for my school, for the teacher's union. And he went through my stuff and he, because I just wanted to make sure that like, I wasn't offending—not offending anyone. It's not offensive, but it's definitely geared towards grown-ups. You know, mm. it's not geared towards elementary school-aged children. So um, I just wanted to make sure that everything was okay, and he gave me the full backing of the whole district, which I thought was really, really nice. And that's when I decided to start putting my name on there and start putting my face on there and sharing um, more, you know, with my followers, which I think has really been amazing because people have really responded and talking about how relatable it is and i think having someone that you feel that you can connect with um and putting a face to it is is important for people so um so that's why i started doing that my last name is still not on there because like not even like a couple weeks ago one of my students came up to me and was like i am um, i googled you the other night. And I was like, you did? And, and I'm like, Oh my God, what came up? What came up? What came up? And, and she's like, it was like my wedding website from a long time ago. And I was like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I was like, please don't say jokes about my vagina. Please don't say jokes about my vagina. Um, but they do, they do, they Google me and I just, not that it's again, not that it's inappropriate, but I just don't know if parents would really, you know, want their students to be reading about that sure. part of their teacher's life. So well, no, that's so why I difference. try to keep it a little separate.
0: And it's a different. This is a, a a different part of you and your identity, isn't it? Exactly. So, exactly. You've got a massive following on Instagram. Am I right to assume that is the chosen platform that's really taken off for you?
1: Yes, yes, that is the one that is most the most successful out of the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook that we're on. That I'm on. Yeah, Instagram is the is the biggest one, and I, to be honest, I think I I like it the most out of the three too. So it kind of works out. <laughs>
0: Because I hadn't been on the Instagram community probably until the last year, and I find it just amazing from a support point of view, the, the kind of levels that people go to to follow and to comment and, and to
1: really help each other. Is that what you found as well? 100%. I, um, I was shocked because I didn't have this when I was going through infertility, you know? I wasn't on social media then, and, um, I just had my husband and a couple of my friends that have not been through infertility, you know, so to have this community of people that all support each other and follow each other and actually check in with each other and and i mean there's a lot of highs and lows when you're going through this struggle and i think it's it's so amazing i've seen really nothing but positive um things for the interactions for the past two years which i think is not the reputation that social media often gets you know like you often think there are gonna be negative people or there's gonna be backlash and there I haven't experienced that I've seen just all just women men and women just supporting each other and I think it's amazing quite frankly
0: now I know that you don't talk about the fact that you've got children in this world which makes complete sense and I'm just interested in how you continue to kind of be in the moment of not having been successful which most of your posts are about when obviously you know your story is a positive story and you have been
1: yes so um that i it's a it's a hard struggle because it's nothing that i'm hiding you know i've never hidden the fact that that i have kids i mean in my profile the first thing is part mom part teacher you know like Mm -hmm. i am a mom and it did work for me and i think that it's a story that gives hope to a lot of people um what I try to do is I do separate them and I, because I didn't have this when I was going through infertility, like those posts that are like, I get to use, you know, progesterone suppositories today. Like I, I did that. You know what I mean? Like it just be, beca- in my opinion, like just because it, just because I'm, I have children doesn't mean I'm any less infertile. Like if I were to try to get pregnant tomorrow, I would still have to go back to the doctors and go have, go through everything that, everyone else is going through. So I try to do it from a place where I, where I was not that long ago. And because it, it is so all encompassing, I mean, it's a very, I mean, you remember everything, you know what I mean? Like I remember every day, every, every step, every medication, every injection, everything. So that's where I try to, to post from and to support you know, my followers who are still going through that um, from a place of like, we're all in it together. Because if, even if I came out the other end, like I'm still, I'm still in it. I'm still part of this community. I'm still wanna support everyone else who's still in it.
0: And did you keep a journal at the time
1: that you were going through treatment? You know what? I didn't, I didn't. Um so it's all from um, there memories, were, all from? Yeah, yeah. I just remember, like I remember like the dates, like I remember, yeah, yeah pretty amazing now let's talk
0: about the um just because i say that just because i kept a journal which uh, at points where various friends were literally going through their injections and i had a friend going oh i'm like day three in and i'm feeling this and i was like hang on a minute and i could look in my book and see which i was quite proud of myself for actually doing but um i don't know whether i would have remembered it as clearly as i had day by day because life life goes on whilst you're going through it doesn't it well you try to have life going on. yeah Exactly. Let's just talk a bit about the speaking engagements that you do. Um, you mentioned one that kind of started quite early on, um, and you've got some little videos on your website. I love the rules of fertility clinic. Talk about yeah. some of the rules of fertility clinic for me.
1: Yes. So uh, I, when I found out that I was going to the fertility clinic, I. I was like, oh, this is great. Like I'm going to meet other women that are like me and maybe we'll become friends. And like, I, I don't I don't know what I was thinking. I, I think I had like this like bizarre, like Sesame Street <laughs> idea of what the clinic was going to be. And then I got there and it was just like, no one talked to each other. No one smiled at each other. And I tried, like I definitely tried and it was just having none of it. So and I was like, oh my this is like Fight Club. Like this is like, like the, like there are w- rules on the walls, but there's not, you know, so, yeah. so yeah, I started going through like, what are the rules of the fertility clinic with the one rules that you're not, that you don't talk inside the clinic and no smiling, no interacting, definitely no laughing. And then another rule is also like that you don't talk ab- about it even once you're out of it. You know what I mean? Like you just get to work and maybe you're a couple minutes late, maybe you're not, you know, but then that's it. And no one talks about it which i also think is is so bizarre you know so there's just there's so many funny things that go on in the fertility clinic also like i talk a lot about um how they drape that blue cloth over you which i think is kind of funny like i don't know yeah. why but i'm kind of like why do we have this cloth. like yeah i think it's so interesting and i know like i've talked to people who are like no i need that blue cloth like i need mm. to disconnect and part of me is like you're right. But like, I don't know why it's, I don't know why we have that. Like, that's my vagina. It's connected to my body. You're all up inside of it. That's your job. You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of like, okay, I don't really <laughs> understand why we have that. So there are, I think, you know, definitely some funny aspects if you can look at it from, from those perspectives, you know, and just, I mean, the transvaginal ultrasound wand, is just, it's just a, like I don't know, a fountain of comedic material, in my opinion. I mean, well, the wand it makes just, quite a few appearances in your
0: Instagram uh, feed. It does.
1: It, <laughs> it does. Because I mean, like, when you're going through fertility treatments, you get wanded, like, sometimes every other day, or, you know, <laughs> or, or every day. And I just remember the first time that I myself was wanded. And I remember looking at it and being like, I mean, it, it looks like it would be a fun experience, you know, like the shape of it, like looks like it would be enjoyable, but it wasn't <laughs> at all. Like there is nothing fun about that experience. And I was like, "Wow. Okay." <laughs> you know, so so that's the way that I try to to look at it, but I do think that there are pretty funny things about it
0: and the pictures of the ones that you've got are they secret pictures you've taken or have you just kind of have you been in like uh, when you were kind of going through this were you like sneaking out your smartphone or have you just managed to acquire these from from the I've actually the just mar-
1: managed to acquire those yeah because because like like I wasn't I mean I I wasn't really taking photos for Instagram sure. when I was going through it so and a lot of people like um for national infertility awareness week this this year um, i posted i asked for people to send me pictures of their <laughs> wands and and i mean the the amount of emails was almost overwhelming it was amazing oh, yeah. though people taking p- taking selfies with their wands putting music with their with their oh, wands funny. and it's just cuz you have to you know you have to laugh at it because otherwise it's just like so sad and overwhelming yeah. you know i started sending my like query letter which is like the letter like you have to send to get a agent or a literary publisher And I didn't, I wasn't hearing anything back. And the people who I did hear back from, they all said, we're sorry, we just don't think that this is a big enough market. And for me, that just fueled my fire more Mm. because I was like, oh, I'm going to show you like this Mm. is that because that's the problem, right? Like that's the problem that people don't think it's a big enough market Mm. because no one's talking about it. So and I was like, but that's the issue. Like, people are suffering in silence, and you think it's not a big enough market because no one's talking about about it. But it's actually one of the large, at least in the United States, it's one of the largest growing medical fields. You know. So, and I'm sure that's the same in many other countries as well. So, so that's what really like. I was like, no, like this is huge. I know it's huge. Like, could you not just say, have you seen
0: the number of people that are following me on Instagram?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so I think it's, I think it's a a huge market. So I started putting my books, my chapters on my website. I wrote some, um, articles for some different websites and that's when things really started to take off. And, uh, um, and then i i think i kept kind of waiting and holding out for like like a i don't want to say a real publishing company cuz i don't want to degregate you know the self publishing but but i was i was i was waiting for like that like You know real housewives moment where someone swoops in and is like this is amazing and we're gonna publish your book and i'm you're gonna be on the today show and (laughs) you're gonna and like not even for vanity but just for to get that message out there and to help more people you know and while the platform was just growing and growing and growing in my mind i think i kind of thought that that would happen naturally and then the platform got so huge and my followers are really like we need to read more like the amount of emails that I've received from women all over the world that are like I need more I need more of this book I need to read the whole thing and that's when I was like I can't I don't really want to keep people waiting any longer you know so my new year's resolution was to self-publish and I actually put a reminder like on my phone like those reminders that pop up every day and I put self-publish like self-publishing and that has popped up every single day since New Year's Day. And it's really helped me to stay motivated because it's hard, you know, I have a full-time job. I have a husband, I have two kids, I have a dog, you know, so Mm. I have a lot of things going on and I pretty much go back, you know, once the house is to sleep and everyone's good, like I go back to to our little home office and I work on hilariously infertile stuff at night times. In the beginning, I felt like I had more international followers than I did in the United States. and so I it's very important that it can be anywhere if you can if you can access Amazon, you can access this book. So yeah. I think that or my and my website, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean that's the 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 beauty and the sadness about social media is that it enables us when we're put in content out about infertility to realize how far-reaching it is I mean with my podcast I can see the different countries around the world that it's listened to and you realize how far-reaching this as an issue is and how many of us are affected and I think it is so important to have the humorous side to it and you capture so much of what we think in a lot of your posts which is brilliant and I know that you're now dabbling in different ways to kind of share yourself. Um, there's little video snippets that you're putting more and more of on your Instagram account. So you're starting to show your face more and and share m- more of, of you along the way,
1: aren't you? Yeah, I am at, so at first, at, you know, when those story things came out on Instagram, I had remember being like, one of my friends was like, you should do more more of those. Like, I think people really like that. And I was like, no one cares. Like, come on, like, you know, like, not that no one cares, but I was like, I I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about, you know, the platform and, and my followers, like the posts that my followers like, you know, but then little by little, I started just taking these little videos, um, mostly in my car, mostly when I'm like waiting to, you know, about got to my job and walking into my job. And, uh, um, it's just, I think people really responded to it because, um, because, you know, they can relate to me and they can relate to the situation and they can relate to um, to everything that's going on. And, and so I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed having my face out there. And even there are some things that aren't, I mean, not fertility or infertility related at all. You know, Mm. like I have videos of me, at, you know, at my job in a meeting that is like, that was like a bad meeting that I knew people were going to start yelling at each other and I brought popcorn, things like that, that I think people have just responded to. So um, I've definitely been doing more stories. I'm kind of doing triage in terms of, you know, book. First and foremost, and then podcasts, and if possible, merchandise at some point down the road as well. So that's what I'm working on right now.
0: Uh, uh, ju- just that. Um, Karen, just hang on one <laughs> sec, because my son has appeared. I just had to mute you whilst you were just talking. because Not going, a problem. Hey, I'm hungry. Just give me Not one second problem. to go and yep. find a snack, and I will be back here in a moment. Hang Not on. a problem. So whilst I'm nipping off to um, go and entertain my son, here's a message from my sponsors who make this podcast possible you're looking for a supplement to take whilst trying to conceive pregnant care conception and Wellman conception provide advanced nutritional support they include zinc vitamin d and the exact levels of folic acid recommended for women by the uk department of health pregnant care is expert nutritional care while trying for a baby and to find out more visit the fertilitypodcast.com forward slash shop the Fertility Podcast is also supported by IVF Matters, the UK's first online fertility clinic where you can order tests delivered to your door, have scans at multiple locations and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home. It's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey and you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk or call 033 939951. I'm back, sorry. Felt okay. Sorry about that, it's so funny, he's like pause the television and come to get me. It's when you realize at three how much they're able to do. It's quite terrible. I know. That all sounds so cool. And definitely kind of keep me posted on it because anything that, you know, in the podcast world, we can always um, maybe share a little snippet of it on my feed or something along the way. Cause it's always, um, especially with the, the humorous side of it. I mean, are you aiming to,
1: who, who are you aiming to speak to on your podcast? My followers, I would love to have some of my followers on my podcast because their stories are the most insane, amazing, unreal stories I've ever heard. Like there are times where I'm just drawn to tears reading what they've told me about things that go on in their life. And, and I like, I like even last night I was in bed and I was like, Jeff, stop, you have to listen to this, you know? <laughs> and he was like, Oh my gosh. And mm. like it, there's just so many incredible stories about, mm. um, about really about this, this, journey which I hate calling it a journey but this journey that everyone's on and how people handle it and Mm -hmm. what I really think it's all about is just you know the human will and persistence and being there to support each other and that's what I think is so important so um, but definitely you know also, the humorous side on the podcast—it has to be like it's not going to be like a "let's all cry about infertility" type of a thing, you know.
0: You'll get addicted because four years down the I know. line, that's what I've been doing—getting people's stories. I think it's brilliant that you have got such a following and that you are doing it in the way that you are, and um, I'm really excited to know that you'll be putting that spin on it as well. Because I think, however, which way, and I've learned from from doing the podcast for four years that. We do want to listen to people's stories about this kind of thing. And you'll know from the interaction that you have from the followers, we want to know about other people going through what we're going through because it makes us feel less alone. And I know that one of the conversations that you'd had, I think it was around the Say the F Word campaign, you were talking about how you want women to feel empowered and get rid of this weird stigma because it
1: shouldn't exist, but it still does exist, doesn't it? Exactly, and what you just said is exactly, I mean, I feel like that's what I say all the time, like, no one should be going through this alone and and just to to be connected to other women and maybe they're not in your friend group, you know, maybe they're not in your extended family group, but you are connected to these other people who are going through this and you are definitely not alone, um, which I think is so important. And, and in terms of talking about it, that's something, I mean, I'm like a very open person, my husband's like, you, like I could I could go with probably not being so open sometimes, you know? He's like, you're an overshare. Like when I went through this and I started talking to people, all of a sudden everyone's like, Oh, well, I this happened to me and I suffered from a miscarriage or I had this or I went through infertility. And these are like friends and coworkers and family members. And I was like, Why didn't I know? Like, why didn't you tell me that? I would have helped you. I would have supported you. I would have checked in on you. And I just think it's so interesting because with any other medical condition, you tell your friends and family and you have a support group. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, even little things, like when my friends go to the doctors, I'm like, oh, how is the doctor? What do they say? Oh, how is the dentist? How is this? You know? So that's why I'm like, I don't understand why with infertility, no one talks about it because... It's it's the you know it's a medical condition just like any other medical condition and I think that it should be talked about and I mean I would scream it from the rooftops and that's what I'm trying to do and trying to to get the world to talk about it you know and to and to release that stigma because it's something that so many people are going through and I don't really see why there is that stigma you know it doesn't like I'm not any less of a woman or less of a mother because I went because I can't get pregnant on my own like I just need a little bit of help. Like I needed a little bit of help when I was in school too. And like, Mm -hmm. that's fine too, you know, like, so I think that, um, I think that that is exactly what I'm trying to do. And, and it seems like it's being received very well. And I just, you know, I want to help people find that confidence and be able to, to talk a lot about it because i think it is so important
0: you know i think the more i spend talking to people about this and the more these kind of conversations happen saying exactly what you've just said i think that we are so conditioned to assume that we will just no, get pregnant phoenix please the last thing. phoenix please do- Karen, I was just about to make such a good point there.
1: Just give me one second. (laughs) Not a problem, trust me. I'm so sorry. Not a problem, not a problem at all. Sorry. (laughs) No problem, not a problem at all. My kids are the exact same way. Like they don't (laughs) want to hang out with me at all. And then the second I pick up a phone to talk to someone on the phone, they're like on top of me, so I get it. I just think that we
0: have spent so long being conditioned to thinking that we will just get pregnant that when it doesn't work, the shame of it, it's so hard to get your head around. We just shut down. And I know that there's friendship groups that or friends that I had to distance myself from because as supportive as they were. I know that they just wouldn't get it because it didn't happen to them and I align myself with the friends who maybe had had their own struggles and had talked about it and have now immersed myself in this world talking about it all the much more. I'm interested as well where you're at with your other half. Is he open talking about what you're doing is it just like now because my husband now kind of talks quite freely about what I do with my podcast but he didn't for a while
1: you know what that's actually a really good question and when this all first started I think that he was a little taken aback just by um more so by like the social media because he was like what like what are you doing (laughs) you know um But I I had a very frank conversation with him and I was like, listen, if if this is embarrassing to you or if you think that I'm saying something that I shouldn't be saying and I want you to tell me. And he was like, absolutely not. I mean, he was so supportive. It was more so in the beginning. He was just like, I can't believe like you're hashtagging. And I was like, oh, whatever. Um, But he, (laughs) he was so supportive. And what I was more so concerned about was that his friends, like he's at like this group of guy friends, they've been friends since college. Um, and I was more concerned that like, they would give him a hard time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That they'd be like, oh, what's Karen doing? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, I was like, I was like, just so you know, like this is going to be happening. And if your friends have a hard time with it, or if you have a hard time with it, like I, you know, let's talk about it. And he was like, no, absolutely not. And what was interesting is that his guy friends, have been so supportive, which I thought they were going to be like, "What are you doing?" You know, but they're just, and not a lot of infertility in that group, and uh, you know, and through the men or the wives, and they all have been so supportive, which I was like, "Wow, thanks, mm-hmm. guys!" Like, I, not that I didn't expect that because they're great people, but I just thought that maybe they'd be like, "I can't believe that she's actually talking about this personal stuff," you know. Mm-hmm. But they were, they were so supportive and continue to be and every time I see them they're like what you're doing is amazing like this is so awesome and seeing that I mean from the wives I kind of would not expect it but I would you know think that that would happen more readily but from the guys too like it it was really really nice to see and that that everyone was supporting my husband and that my husband was supporting me and that they were supporting me getting this message across as well.
0: Well, and long may it continue because I think the more that we are talking about it in whichever way we do it on social media, in podcasts, online, you know, in in books, then we will continue to keep the conversation going. So thank you for talking about it. Good luck with the book. Thank you so much.
1: I really appreciate it.
0: And um, yeah, we'll keep in touch because it's funny. Yes. It's funny what you do, and It's good to laugh (laughs) about this stuff. I know from being in it every day, sometimes you just want to be like, ah, and and have a laugh. So, thank you for that. Thank you for bringing that laugh to to it. You take care, Karen. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: I'm James Nicopoulos. I'm a consultant, gynecologist, and specialist in reproductive medicine at the Lister Hospital.
0: So, I want to start with the Lister being this name that I think people hold in such high regard. And what that means to you when people are coming to you, I suppose, knowing that there's a lot of expectation on what people think is going to happen here?
2: It puts a lot of pressure on us to a certain extent. Um, It's great that we have that reputation 30 years after opening and I think a lot of that has got to do with leadership from Sam Mardala, the Clinical Director, who was a high profile member of the HFEA for a long time. Um, We have an ethos of being very honest about people's chances of success, um, both positive and negative. And we do see a lot of people with a very low egg reserve that have been declined treatment elsewhere. So that's given us the experience to manage them well. Um, and a lot of people have had recurrent failed cycles. Um, and the latter group often get weird and wonderful recommendations elsewhere. And it's trying to tease out which of those recommendations really are based on some evidence and are worth doing, and which of them are giving them false expectation, and then honestly trying to guide them down that right path. What we can't change is that the most likely cause of any cycle of IVF not working is the embryo. If that embryo is genetically normal, most of the time it will get a woman pregnant or a couple pregnant. If it's not, then it won't. We can't change that. And it's making sure people are aware of that. And then once we've done that, making sure we eliminate as many other variables as possible.
0: I've heard you speak about AMH levels and I'm keen to just get a kind of easy to comprehend overview of AMH levels and if people are listening to this, which they are when they're just starting out trying to get pregnant, what do people need to understand about what that means?
2: There's two really good markers of egg reserve. If you imagine every month, um, a woman recruits a certain number of follicles with eggs in them from her stores. Um, And you can do a scan, and the more eggs you've got in your stores, the more recruited. So that gives us an idea of what the egg reserve is. And it's these little follicles that are recruited every month that produce this hormone AMH. So in essence, the more you've got in your stores, the more follicles are there, the more AMH you produce. So it's a stock check of your egg number. So the higher the AMH is, the better your egg store is. Um, and there's no normal because a 20 year old has got more eggs than a 50 year old, so there can't be a one size fits all. So it's key that when we look at AMH results, we look at what your AMH is compared to your age rather than this you know, perfect 25 year old.
0: And do you think that that's something that we should be made more aware of
2: younger? Absolutely, I, I'm not sure we, at the moment we're going to be able to change the, the fact that we're all having babies older for many, many you know, social, financial reasons. Um, but as that becomes more prevalent and more women are now having first babies over 30 than under 30 for the first time, I think it's even more important that this filters through. Um, and our, you know, for years we've done sex education at school and, and you know how not to get pregnant, but I think we need to start, start teaching people about how to get pregnant and when the right time may be. Because
0: I know that you were involved or you were speaking at Fertility Fest, which was a big event in the UK recently, which I've put various um, content out about. And I'm curious as to what you felt about that kind of environment and that importance of having information presented in, in that arty way, hopefully making it more accessible.
2: It was, and, and there was such a, a diverse range of different types of artists at the same time mingling with with, with Scientists, clinicians, and and giving people that forum um, to be honest about their own experiences, as well as being able to listen to to good science, I think was a you know I think Jessica did a fantastic job.
0: I know that there's a specialism that you have with um, lower variant reserve. Is that something that if somebody's been told had some tests, or maybe they found that out. Here is that something that can be improved, can be changed.
2: I think it's one of the frustrating areas that actually probably can't be changed, and and it's a scary place out there because a lot of people, understandably, you know, start googling what they can do, and they're faced with a, a plethora of supplements, of um, alternatives. Some of which aren't going to do any harm, um, but the majority won't do any good. And I think it's in, it's important that we make them aware of that, so that they don't have false hope, because we can't change the, the stock of eggs that's there. Um, There are certain supplements that may be able to improve the quality, but even that the data isn't great. I think the key, the other key area with AMH is that it gives us an idea of what your stock of eggs are. Um, But every month, if a woman ovulates, she only produces one egg and releases one one egg per month. So as long as you're ovulating, um, your chances of success won't be massively affected by your by your lower AMH. It may be that subtly, you know, the more eggs you've got per month, the more chance you have of that one being a great one. But in theory, as long as you're losing the one egg, it probably won't massively change your chances. What it will help you decide is, okay, how long am I going to have optimal fertility for? How quickly should I think about plan B? Mm. And that's the key with AMH.
0: Now, um, another area that I just wanted to throw in there after a question that was... um talked about in, in my previous episode, was about the diagnosis of, of unexplained infertility. And I was speaking to an Australian um, naturopath who was talking about how she feels unexplained infertility is a cop-out as a diagnosis, and she feels that if, it, if it's given to you, it's that the consultant hasn't looked hard enough. Where do you stand on that?
2: I think she's probably right. I think it may be that we look back in 50 years' time and think we're practicing prehistoric medicine and we're missing something glaringly obvious. Um, I don't think it's completely fair to say that we're not trying hard enough. Um, I think it's always a balance between looking for things that we really think have an effect and then looking for things and just blaming them because it's easier than actually saying, look, I don't know. Mm. I think there are things we don't know and I think still about 20% of couples, we're not gonna find anything at the moment and it may just be that we're all trying older and and it takes longer. Mm. But some things have changed. Um, For years, all we did was look at sperm samples and the numbers. We now are able to do slightly more detailed uh, analysis of sperm DNA levels. And it looks like a number of couples who've previously been told they've got unexplained infertility. It may be that there's a subtle issue with the sperm DNA that may be affecting things. So we're beginning to get a better idea of what might be causing this so called unexplained infertility, but we're trying.
0: Because I know that's an area that you've done some research in, isn't it? And, and we had ICSI, it's something that I'm very passionate about, kind of always raising awareness of. And do you feel that the there is more emphasis being put on the male fertility side and m- hopefully more research and more funds and, and more awareness on the need to get, again, get our heads around that it's, it's 50-50, isn't it, men and women going through it? Yeah,
2: and I always say to couples that I think for many years men have been almost stuck in a black hole uh, in the middle in that the vast majority of fertility doctors are gynaecologists, even people like me who've done lots of research in male fertility are still gynaecologists. Most urologists who look after men's bits and bobs for one of the more scientific phrase, don't know very much about fertility. So men often don't get worked up properly. Let's see, up go off and do ICSI. That's changing. There are three or four fantastic urologists that we alone work with, and other clinics obviously have others. And men are beginning to get um, investigated slightly better because it may improve the chances of getting pregnant naturally. It may improve the chances of IVF or ICSI working. So I think that is beginning to turn. Um, interestingly, I, I gave a presentation recently at, at a a women for Google forum and it was for men and women and uh, to talk about fertility issues and what came up that day is that they all felt they were incredibly well supported emotionally in terms of potential networks but the man there, the, the one man there said actually there's nothing for men so there's a bit of a vacuum there in terms of the emotional support because I think and, and that came up at the fertility fest as well yeah. and they're, they're less willing to, to to discuss things and it should be you too. Mm.
0: I mean, because I know about some online support Facebook group just for yeah. men. It's where the men are then willing, like you say, to yeah. actually go in and. Because I said to my husband when I found out about it, and he joined it, but he said he he wouldn't then. Yeah.
2: It's it's how it's how it's how we help them engage.
0: Mm, exactly. Can we talk a bit about OHSS? Because it's not something that I've covered from an expert point of view. I've, I've had patients talk about going through it. The, the feeling I get is that it's still something that women aren't made aware enough about the risks and there isn't really the support there. If they do then find that's what happens to them.
2: I think it's a double-edged sword. I think we, we should be at the point now where we should be virtually eliminating it and we shouldn't have to be discussing it, discuss it, but it's still out there. Um, and I think the other issue is also that um, there are some general the general hospitals and the gynecologists that often have to look after these women aren't specialists in fertility in OHSS um, so it's better connecting the fertility clinics be it privately or in the NHS with the people that may end up looking after these women mm. um, but we have so many tools in our armory now that we should you know it should virtually eliminate OHSS risk but it can be a, um, a very arduous process
0: because from the understanding I've had of, of women that have gone through it they it, it has completely taken them they've they've not had any discussion that it could be something that could happen to them
2: that that should never be the case I think you know we have clear legislative guidelines regulatory guidance that says we have to inform women of the risks and you know for example we have lots of written information um, that they get before during um, and as a discussion that we have um, but it may well be that they hadn't expected it because there weren't the risk factors there for them but for whatever reason yeah possibly um, but so when it did happen, it, you know, it, it, it did hit them for six, and in essence, you, you do begin to lose the fluid from your circulation to other parts of your body. It can make you quite unwell, dehydrated, nauseous, um, short of breath, and, and it's not pleasant. The, the only thing to say is that late hyperstimulation, which is in response to pregnancy hormone, is often... You know, what often happens at the point you find that you're pregnant. So the only saving grace for these women often when they are struggling is that they've got a positive mm. pregnancy test and that won't be affected by the diagnosis as long as it's managed properly.
0: Okay. Now we're talking in the um, 40th anniversary year of IVF. There's a, a lot happening with all sorts of um, events and celebrations and I'm, I'm keen to know what you think. I mean you've been working 20 years in the field, have you? Uh, not
2: quite that old. Um, 2000 I started Doing it 2000, 2000. Sorry, <laughs> 10 years? Um, about 15. Right. Okay. Oh, it's, it's a fantastic anniversary and, and, and Louise Brown spoke at the recent HFEA conference and it was lovely to see her there um, engaging with everybody. Um, the question I always like to think about is, is what's coming next? Mm. Um, and the honest answer is I'm not sure. I think if you look back at the, the, the progress in the 90s we had ICSI, In the 2000s, we had the ability to grow an embryo to to blastocyst stage. I'm not sure we've had our breakthrough yet this decade. There's been lots of talk about the way we monitor embryos. Um, There's increasing talk about genetic testing, but none of it's really changed anything. So I'm keen to know what what we're going to come up with next, but I'm not quite sure what it is yet.
0: And what about society and the feelings people have towards fertility treatment? I mean, at Fertility Fest, for example, the still seem to be a split in, even as far as people that had children and were dealing with secondary infertility being in the same space as those with fertility, which was I suppose encapsulated as we should all be together. But what about when we know about the postcode lottery and we know that there's still issues with, I think, society's perception of people having to have treatment being a lifestyle choice. Do you think that we're getting better at understanding it?
2: Um, I think we are getting better at understanding it. I think that the the taboo and the stigma aren't there the way they Mm. used to be. Um, and the postcode lottery remains an issue and I think someone cleverer than us has to decide whether we're either going to fund things properly and it's going to be consistent or make a decision that we can't afford it which is, isn't the right thing to say or do but the key has to be consistent for everybody and that's been the problem for, for too long now and um, and the whole issue of primary and secondary and, and how we deal with, deal with the emotional side but, you know I often have patients who come and see me in having had a baby, who bring their children in or choose not to bring the babies in because they're worried about what people will say see outside. But I think I think it's lovely for our patients in the waiting room to see women bring their children in and know this can work for me.
0: Because there are quite a few children here today, and I was quite interested in that, and children that maybe seem to be three, four, five. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting from my point of view, looking around and thinking, okay, so I'm assuming that they these women are here to, to have further treatment. And that kind of support um, obviously is, is vital in, in the storage element and, and making that decision. I'm also interested in that decision not. If there are embryos in storage and a family is deciding to, to stick as it is, what kind of support there is then?
2: I think that's a really tough call because they've put themselves through so much physically, emotionally and often financially to get where they are. And hopefully they've achieved the family they have desired and the decision is okay. Do I want more children or not? And if I don't, what do I do with these precious embryos? Um, I think it's key to have that support. Um, we have three or four lovely counselors here that the patients can see as often as they want. It's not anything they ever have to pay for. Um, and it's often not an easy decision. Occasionally, they may choose to donate the embryos to another couple, which is an option, because realistically, the option is use them, you know, discard them, um, or, or donate. So we help them through that, you know, that decision-making process.
0: And I think there's a real kind of journey story going on here from what I just described outside. people It might be four or five years later and people will come back and and be able to access that support.
2: Absolutely. And we often get people who, um, a decade or so after treatment, who still are struggling with some aspect, often having been successful, not necessarily just failure. Mm -hmm. um, And they may want support um, as to what they do with embryos, as to how they might tell their children they were conceived through donor sperm or donor eggs. We are going to get to the point before too long when the children of uh, of couples that use donor ankle and donor sperm are going to be faced with that decision as to whether they choose to contact Mm. the the donor. Um, And again, we have to be able to support them. James, it's been very interesting talking to you. I'll let you get on with your busy morning. It's been a pleasure, thank you. Thank you. you.
0: So the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash hilarious. And I hope that you are enabling yourself to laugh whilst on this journey. And if you haven't already, found karen on instagram all the details of how you can find her and find out about james and the lister in london will be on the show notes and thank you again for your support it's always amazing having you listening feel free to email me natalie at the fertilitypodcast.com if you want to tell me about your story do join our closed facebook group which is called talk fertility and until the next time